You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I am broadcasting once again from the Vivid Seats studios. Use promo code overtime in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customer zone. So first and foremost, I'm pretty excited. We've got, uh, I think there's seven people right now in the... Got a, Here's all, what also, what the blue, uh, 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 let's get that one out of the way right away. I'm not even going to cut it. Are we good now? Genius? Yes. All right. That was my producer, Jim. I call him Jimbo. So the, um, the Packers stock market game needs a name because that's too clunky and I don't want to have to say that every day, all day. I need to say something that sounds kind of cool, like a game that somebody would want to play. But anyways, we got uh, a good group of people in there right now want to get as many as possible. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just get in the Facebook group and find a little video that will explain it to you. In a way, it's almost kind of like fantasy football, but just Packers. So if you're somebody that's like not into fantasy football, because you could not care about, couldn't care less about any other team other than the Packers, which is pretty much how I was when I first started fantasy football. I didn't know anything. And I actually, this is like in 2009, I think is when I started. I drafted like Chad Ochocinco and somebody else that was way over the hill, and I had no idea, and it was like the sixth round, and I'm like, dude, he's still sitting there? He's a freak! I had no idea. I didn't pay attention. I I, I didn't know anything non-Packers. This could be a nice little gateway drug for you to get into uh, regular old fantasy football next year. That's how it starts, man. You get into fantasy football, then you get into the NFL as a whole, then you start getting into the draft... Then you start getting into college football a little bit. I'm still kind of in that range. I just, I don't know, just can't super get into it. Not sure I'll ever really be a huge college football fan. Anyways, so there's that. Um, If you're interested, get in the Facebook group. Give me your picks and whatnot. Should be lots of fun. Packers stock market, buying and selling shares of Packer players and whatnot. What else? Um, Some ways to help the podcast, by the way. iTunes reviews are pretty important. The more reviews, and it doesn't just have to be iTunes, anything that you're using, see if you can leave some kind of review or follow or whatever. And I know some of you might be listening on the custom Green Bay Packers Talk Radio podcast. Just an FYI, even though the logo says Packernet, that's not really my podcast. So for sure, leave a review for them, but make sure you subscribe to the Packernet podcast, colon, Green Bay Packers, Overtime Media, and leave a review for that. Otherwise, just just word of mouth, man. You know, I'm not... uh, a lot of these podcasts, if you look at the podcasters, tens of thousands of followers on Twitter and whatnot. So they, some of these guys, they start a podcast and like instantly they have nearly as many listeners as I do just day one just because of their following. 
Then you look at, you know, a podcast like Pack-A-Day, which has like 75,000 podcasters on it. Each one of them has 7,000, 9,000, 12,000 followers. People know it exists, right? People kind of have to search mine out. You got to be on a journey of, I don't like a lot of these podcasts until you get to mine. So word of mouth would be very helpful to me. And another way you could do it, I don't know if you all knew this, I got some Packernet swag, man. I haven't promoted it in a while, but drink koozies, t-shirts, and they're pretty cool. So check out the uh, link in the description. Grab you a Packernet shirt or a koozie or whatever. Just got to get the word out there, man. People need to know. But that's enough shameless plugging for the day. Today is Denver Broncos Day. Oh, this is the best. I was thinking about it, and I was like, no, it's not. It's Thursday. There's just too many days in between. And then, then it's like, oh, it's Friday. I love when that happens. Anyways, it is Denver Broncos Day. I had a panic attack. I was like, I don't know what to do. I got nothing else to talk about. That was my whole plan. But um, So today's just going to be a raw breakdown. Like This is who the team is. These are the physical players who are going to be standing on the field. This is their general aptitude. Tomorrow we get into more specifics. The matchup. How we win. What could get us into trouble? Usually there's some spillover. I can't help but talk about this player and mention this could be a problem. But I try to avoid that as best as possible. And then on Sunday, what I'm going to try to do, something I haven't done yet this year, but was a big thing for the last two years that I've been doing this, kind of got lost by the wayside because they've been a really terrible two years. But it's it's what I like to call Positivity Sunday, where it's all just about getting jacked up because guess what? We're going to win. All the objectivity of, I don't really know, and we'll see. No, out the window. Best team, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Game over. Let's just crank some music and get jacked up and eat tacos and pizza. And if we happen to have chicken wings, we'll have some chicken wings. Like if there's an air fryer in the house, dude, we better get some chicken wings to go with our pizza and tacos. It's just a big old party, man. Anyways, let's uh, take our first break, talk about the Broncos, and uh, get out of here and go to work and make some money. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, first of all, the 2019 Denver Broncos are 0-2 currently. They have lost to the Oakland Raiders and the Chicago Bears, and both of these are iffy enough losses. And this is one of those things where it's kind of, 
It's tough to say whether or not, for example, the Green Bay Packers beat two really good teams or barely beat two really garbage teams. One of those scenarios, the Packers are awesome. Another one of those scenarios, the Packers are kind of trash. And that's sort of how I feel with the Denver Broncos. It also doesn't help the whole picture of, are the Packers any good? Because I don't know if the Bears are any good, because I don't know if the Broncos are any good. The Broncos losing to the Oakland Raiders is a really, really good sign. Because I tend to think the Raiders aren't a very good team, but I'm kind of unsure because there seem to be some pretty good pieces there. Um, They also lost pretty handily. It was in Oakland, so kind of, you know, the whole home field advantage thing. It's also week one, so you never know what's going to happen, but they're both West Coast teams. I don't know. But they lost to the Raiders 16-24. to I think the bigger story here is the, the defense not exactly being what you would expect it to be. And let me just do my tangent on that now because... You know, let's just get it out of the way. Here's the thing with with Vic Fangio. I have been a massive fan. I was pumping up Vic Fangio a year ago, two years ago, whatever. And what I was talking about, because I didn't even realize it, but I was looking at the Bears back when they were trash and they weren't on anybody's radar and nobody cares, right? Pretty good defense, but their offense stinks and they can't win any games and they're barely 8-8 and and who cares? But I was looking at Pro Football Focus and I was looking at their defenders and I was just kind of going through and every single one got incrementally better every single year that Vic Fangio was there. That was unbelievable. I had never seen that before. And that was why last year, before we played the Bears, and all Packer fans were like, this is going to be easy, we're going to steamroll, and the Bears are trash. I was like, I don't know, man, let's pump the brakes. We did beat them, but I was correct about the Bears, ultimately. Now, looking at this today, one of the staples of Vic Fangio is the idea that he believes that not only he, but all of his coaches need to be teachers. That bears itself out when you look at the Bears. However, it's not as though Vic Fangio stepped onto Soldier Field and suddenly turned that defense into a bunch of elite freaks. It was a process. It was a, a process over the course of, of two, three, four years, whatever it was. When 2018 started, he had three years invested in Chicago. Four total years he was in Chicago. And if you just look at it, his first year as a defensive coordinator in Chicago, the points, for example, they were 20th. In 2016, his second year, they were 24th. Then in their third year, 9th. Like, whoa, where did this come from? Then in 2018, number one. Takeaways in his first year, they were 28th. In his second year, they were 32nd. Dead last in takeaways. Then in 2017, a big jump to 13th. Then in 2018, number one. Same thing happened with rushing yards, same thing happened with, with rushing touchdowns, same thing happened with everything. It was it was a bad year, then in his second year it was a terrible year, then in his third year there was a noticeable jump, like wow, these guys are pretty good. This is when so the it was it was a multiple it was a multiple process. You were had the GM adding Vic Fangio type pieces. You had the development of those pieces, as well as the guys that they decided to retain that kind of fit what, you know, Kyle Fuller and whatnot. Then you had the addition of Amukamura through free agency. You had the addition of, you know, Eddie Goldman in the draft, whatever. So you get his guys, you develop his guys, and then suddenly in the fourth year, and in the third year you saw the fruits, in the fourth year it was boom, elite. This is year one. Even with Mike Pettin, look at year one with Mike Pettin. It was not very good. Great defensive mind. Nobody debates that. But in year one, he doesn't have his guys. He doesn't have his system fully implemented. His guys don't fully understand it. And the fact of the matter is some of these guys just really don't belong here. They don't fit. They don't work. So there's probably going to be improvement. When you look at this, the direct statistics for um, the Denver Broncos and, and, for example, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and whatnot, 
the statistics aren't great, and we know those are going to get better. These are these are football players that that are going to get what they it's regression to the mean, right? They're, they're going to get their sacks and their numbers, and a lot of that has to do with Vic Fangio, right? Offenses have figured out a way to sort of take those guys away. Vic Fangio needs to make some adjustments to say, okay, this is what you're doing, quick passing or whatever it is. Fine, we're going to take that away because we want you to hold the ball because we want Von Miller and Bradley Chubb to just assault you. But that is worth noting, right? This is a good defense. This is a good defensive coordinator. The assumption is that there's just going to be this elite play. But, you know, there's reason to believe that this doesn't have to be great year one. I do believe over time it's going to get better, and that has no reflection whatsoever on the Broncos as a whole. However, that does, you know, for example, defensive coaches aren't typically, the, the hit rate isn't as good. Obviously, the best head coach in maybe the history of the NFL, no offense to some of the greats that the Packers have had, but it's going to be hard to, whatever, easily the best now, one of the best ever, possibly the best ever, Bill Belichick is a defensive guy, but getting the offense going is going to be um, an interesting part of that. I think one of the, the storylines that isn't getting as much attention, and it's probably because he didn't play under McVeigh, which is a false narrative to begin with. It's not really a McVeigh tree. I mean, it kind of is. The uh, The new head coach for Cincinnati was a McVeigh guy. Zach Taylor, the the head coach I'm talking about, um, he never coached directly under Kyle Shanahan, but still, it's still the Kyle Shanahan tree because McVeigh is under it. But anyways, if people cared about that, there'd probably be a bigger storyline to the fact that the offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos um, was most recently the quarterback coach under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, Rich Scangarello. He also was in Atlanta in 2015 uh, when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. So he and, um, you know, Matt LaFleur all worked together. Scangarello was a part of this this team with... uh, he was the offensive quality control coach with Matt LaFleur as the quarterback coach and Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. So their OC and our head coach were on the offensive squad. They were in meetings together every day. They were working together. They were on the sideline together. They know each other, and they're running the same system. This is the Kyle Shanahan system. So, you know, I think some people maybe, including myself, look at this and, and you know, kind of don't expect much from the offense. However, as I've mentioned before, I think they have a capable enough quarterback. They have a at least one capable wide receiver, a, a really promising running back. And, and again, we're running, and I don't, I don't know, you know, presumably what we want is a guy like Rich Gangarello or Matt LaFleur to adapt what we have with what we need. And, and this is a similar situation to next year, we're going to be looking at, okay, what do we need? The, the unfortunate part for rich is that your head coach kind of has is going to probably pull rank on you and say well this is what i need for my defense although the guy actually pulling the trigger is is a former quarterback so we'll see how it goes but anyways it, this, this this there's a very good reason reason to believe the offense may be a, a quality offense because depending on how capable of an offensive coordinator and play caller scangarello is this is as i've said this is the system that wins it's about misdirection. It's about getting our guys off of, you know, it's not just going to be a straightforward, just pound it up the middle and, you know, just run down the field and, you know, backyard football type stuff. Our guys are going to need to be on their on their toes. Now, fortunately, again, because they're from the same exact system, and, and I would say that Matt LaFleur is probably a lot more advanced in understanding the system than Rich Scangarello is, and I could be wrong. You know, you look at Sean McVay. Sean McVay was under Matt LaFleur. Back in Washington, 
um, Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan got fired, and they were like, well, let's, I want to hang on to this tight ends coach guy, that Sean McVay kid. I want him to stick around. He's got something special. Maybe there's something going on like that with Scangarello. I don't know. But as far as understanding the offense that's coming to Lambeau Field, as far as being a resource for Mike Pettin, Matt LaFleur is, is he's the guy, right? They have the same exact track record. They, they followed a very similar path. And really, depending on, on how the, the offense performs, he could be in line for a head coaching job, depending on, on who's sitting out there. I mean, if you look at, at again, the uh, you got a guy who came from the quote-unquote McVay tree who's having success in Green Bay, it might perk some more people's ears up. And when you have a, a bunch of, of teams looking to get new coaches and there's not a lot to pick from, Scangarello could be on that list. Anyways, bottom line is that's something to be aware of because I think the assumption coming in is, this is a Vic Fangio team. The offense is going to be trash, right? The defense is going to be elite. The offense is going to be trash. And I want to kind of curve away from both of those things. The, the defense doesn't have to be great, similar to the, what happened when he went to Chicago, and the offense might be better than we're expecting. Okay? Is that a good enough tangent for everybody? And by the way, the uh, Ed Donatella is the defensive coordinator. Not that it super matters, but uh, it's going to help Vic Fangio a lot. He was, he was the Bears' uh, secondary coach the entire time Vic Fangio was there. So he's he's really just there. He's I don't I don't think he's calling any plays. I think that's Vic Fangio all day. His job is to again be a teacher, right? I need you to help me implement this system. So, anyways, now with all that said, however, again I'm just trying to take the edge off as far as thinking they're going to be a trash offense and an elite defense. However, I do think this is still a a primarily defensive team. If you just look at the scores of these these games, their offense so far has scored 16 and 14 points. The defense has allowed 24 and 16 points. Now, 24 is, is kind of a lot, especially for the Raiders. And I guess 16 is kind of a lot for the for the Bears. But overall, I mean, it's, you know, you expect more from the offense and, and allowing only, uh, you know, I guess 40 points in two games is 20 average. That's, that's pretty low in, in 2019. So far, not that it super matters because it's only been two weeks and uh, the, the quality of the opponent you've gone up against is, is a primary factor. But their passing defense is ranked actually really high right now. Again, Trubisky is a massive factor in this, but they're fourth in passing yards and third in passing touchdowns allowed. That That's something to at least keep our eye on. Teams have not done a great job of, of uh, passing the ball a ton. Now, to further qualify that, teams have not thrown a lot against them either, but still. And we'll get into the quality of their defense, and there is some quality uh, there as well. I think one of the biggest factors, and this is this is going to be a massive massive factor as well, um, is turnovers. The Denver Broncos don't have a single turnover so far. And if I'm not mistaken, they don't have a single sack either. Now, the, these are pretty pivotal things. Sacking a quarterback and getting turnovers are, you know, they might be a suffocating kind of defense where it's hard to get yards. But these are these are really important pieces to a defense if you're going to try to help out your offense and, and give yourself some good field position and take the other team off the field. Not having a single turnover is a massive factor here. Because as I've mentioned before, when I went back and looked at, you know, whenever I would do these previews last year, and you start looking at what is the correlation for when this team wins and when this team loses, turnovers were almost always a factor. And you hear coaches talk about that all the time, the importance of turnover ratio and how how important that is to winning a football game. It really is. There is a super high correlation between winning the turnover battle and winning the game. As a contrast, the Packers currently have five turnovers. On top of that, they have six sacks. Six sacks and five turnovers to zero sacks and zero turnovers is going to be legitimately the storyline of this game. 
Right? There's a lot of other stuff that we'll talk about tomorrow, but that, that is going to be something that has to get fixed. If the Denver Broncos have any chance of winning this game, you can't have a team that is averaging about three turnovers and three sacks while your team gets zero of each. If Vic Fangio can't dial up a way, and and this is the worst possible scenario for Vic Fangio, to come in and say, we've got to get some turnovers against Aaron Rodgers. He's not going to turn the ball over. I mean, we've got to start punching the ball. We've got to start trying to strip the ball. And if I'm Matt LaFleur, I I need to know this. And I need to be talking to my guys and saying, look, they're, they're struggling. And they're frustrated. They want sacks real bad. They're coming in hot. They're going to be bringing blitz packages, which is which is very unusual for Vic Fangio. That's something to keep an eye on in this game, by the way. If you start seeing exotic blitzes, Vic Fangio is off his game, and he's getting frustrated. He doesn't do that. He's he's a guy that just he is he's very very old school. We know this in far as far as his tactics, like how he coaches. You know, no music. We're doing five hour practices. You know. No bathroom breaks. I made that last part up. I told you to go before we leave. How many times did I tell you? Every time, Vaughn. But it's not just in those old school kind of ways that way. He's straight up 3-4. Like, not hybrid 3-4 like every other team's doing. It's just we've got three down linemen. We've got four linebackers. The two on the outside are coming. The three in the middle are just trying to, you know, two-gap and hold things up a little bit. I mean, it's just, it's straight up. And, you know, there's going to be some you know, nickel and dime and these kinds of things, whatever. But you start seeing crazy exotic fronts and, and you know, crazy blitzes and everything. They're, they're trying to get some some stats here. And again, Matt LaFleur and, and the offensive um, folks need to realize that. They need to know that. And, and not only that, it's, it's kind of getting into um, we've got nothing to lose territory. 0-2 teams have like a, what is it, like an 18% shot of making the playoffs. It's desperation time. We're on the road. We're 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 down. You know we're, we're we're dogs in this game by a lot. Nobody expects us to win. Nobody wants us to win. It's a tough environment to win in. Aaron Rodgers does not lose very often at home. I gave you those stats a couple weeks ago. Even last year when we were trash, we won most of our games at home. the The home environment has changed a lot. It's getting very loud. I don't think we're going to have nearly as many Broncos fans as we had Minnesota Vikings fans last week, which means it's just even going to be louder. Better be louder. Anyways, those are sort of the the general overview. Um, Let's pop in one quick break here, and then we'll look at sort of the the player breakdowns. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So as of right now, um, Bryce Callahan still limited. He's been limited all week. There's no official status as of right now, but um, you know, limited participation is is not great. But it also means that he's. I mean, I don't know. My thought is, if we think he's he might not play, but it's kind of close. We're just going to rest him. If he's probably going to play, maybe we just do limited, you know what I mean? I I think Bryce Callahan's probably going to play, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on because if he doesn't, that's a massive, massive deficiency for their defense. Uh, Linebacker Todd Davis is full participation. He'll be fine. Tackle Jawan James, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think, really, really important for their right tackle spot. Hasn't practiced. He didn't practice Wednesday. He did not practice yesterday. Not a good sign for him. Uh, fullback Andy Janovich is limited. Linebacker uh, Joe Jones is limited. 
Their uh, guard, another offensive line position, uh, Ron Leary, did not practice, did not practice. So that's that's two two offensive linemen, and I mentioned Ron Leary isn't very good, and the guy backing him up is even worse at, at being good. Um, Emmanuel Sanders uh, was out on Wednesday. He's good to go Thursday. I don't think he was ever injured. He had something else going on. I'm not sure, but he's fine. Cortland Sutton, however, I don't know. He's got a rib injury. He he was fine Wednesday. He wasn't even on the injury report, and then he popped up, did not practice on Thursday with something wrong with his ribs. That's pretty big. Um, Cortland Sutton is, as far as I can tell, he's their clear number two. I mean, basically, if we just look at the statistics here, Emmanuel Sanders has 184 yards. Cortland Sutton has a one, 160. The next highest receiving yards is Noah Fant with 62. So you take away Cortland Sutton, you're taking away, a, you know, geez, a, a third of the offensive production so far, at least through the air. So that's definitely something to monitor. Um, the, the neck, I mean, if you just look at the receiving yards, even after that, Philip Lindsay is the next highest. He's a running back. After that is Royce Freeman, which is shocking because he's also a, he's the, basically the number two running back, I guess. Then it's Jeff Howerman, tight end with 21 yards. After that is Deshaun Hamilton, who has 20 yards in, in two games. After that is Troy Fumagalli, and that's it. So three tight ends, two running backs, and Deshaun Hamilton who, by the way, is just a slot guy. So I don't know if you even, if Cortland Sutton doesn't play, do you slide Deshaun Hamilton out wide? I'm guessing you do, but if you're just making him a slot guy, then you have to have somebody else step in there. But either way, then you'd have to find a slot guy to come in for Hamilton if you're putting him out in three wide sets, unless you're just going to say, forget it, we're just not going to run. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. And maybe the reason Hamilton hasn't had a lot of opportunities is because he's the number three, and they basically are just running two wide receiver sets all day long whether it's 21 or 12 personnel or whatever. That could be the case. Either way, Deshaun Hamilton has not been doing very well. He has not graded out very well. He didn't grade out very well last year either. It's been not a great um, great outing. In fact, the, the, the team overall hasn't been. So it's, it's complicated because on one hand, I'm looking at PFF and I'm seeing what the production has been so far. On the other hand, I'm looking at what the expectation should be. So Philip Lindsay, you look at it, Compared to 2018, he's he's not very good. He has not had a very good. Um, I mean, it's kind of similar to Aaron Jones in a way. Whereas if I if this was the other way around and I'm the Denver Broncos and I'm analyzing this, I'm looking at it and I'm going, he's graded out kind of not great, right? I think he's at like 66 or something. Philip Lindsay right now is at like 63, but it's like yeah, but it's Aaron Jones. Probably should watch out for this guy. Same thing with Philip Lindsay. He was one of the highest graded running backs last year. One of the biggest problems for him probably is going to be the fact that, number one, everyone's going to key off on the run. Number two, your offensive line is no good. Number three, your not good offensive line is also injured, meaning two of your not great offensive linemen are injured and two even worse offensive linemen are going to have to come in. Number four would be your tight ends are garbage at run blocking. So, yeah, that's rough, especially when we're talking about a Shanahan offense. Like, all right, guys, we're going to run the ball. And the offensive line and tight ends are like, no, we're not. That's not what we're doing. At all, not even a little, but I, I would say, and, and again, Cortland Sutton is, is actually a really, really big factor here, especially for the Denver Broncos, because if I'm, again, if I'm, if I'm coming at it from the opposite perspective and I'm looking at this going against the Packers, I'm saying, we got to have a number two, and even then it's going to be tough. We're making it too easy on Green Bay, who suddenly has this pretty good pass defense and these good corners. If all we have to do, I mean... Even with Sutton, it's one of those things where maybe we just, you know, because if we, if we really do like King, and I think the Packers do, we, we could just do it straight up. The, the best way to probably do it is say Sanders is your best guy, fine. Jair, you're on Sanders. King, you're on Sutton. That allows us to free up our, our, our safeties. You don't want to have to double a guy if you don't have to. 
So if we can just do that straight up and we got two safeties that can just either play cover two or you know, whatever we want to do with them, that's, that's even better. But again, if Sutton's out, it's like, I don't even know what you do. Because at least then you've got two options. And occasionally King is not going to have the, the tightest coverage in the world. Occasionally Jair is going to be a little bit off. But if you really just got one guy and you're just trying to get Jair off, I mean, you, you really legitimately, if you just want to completely shut it down, you could probably just double Sanders. And again, it, it, ideally you don't want to do that because you don't need to. But if, if you just play it kind of like people play the Packers and say, we're, we're 100% taking away Sanders, what exactly is plan B for you? What is their plan B? Right. Whereas before, maybe we're just going to go straight up and keep our safeties out there because that way, you know, we can kind of have both of our safeties react to Sutton and Sanders. But if it's just Sanders, that's probably what I'm going to do. I'm just going to completely 100% take him away. I'm going to double Sanders all day long, not even necessarily because he's an elite wide receiver, although I do think he's underrated and I do like him, just because I'm going to say that's your only play that and run the ball is it. So we could almost even get away from playing this whole dollar defense. We could throw another linebacker in use one of our safeties to help double up or one of our linebackers, whatever we choose to do, just somebody on that side of the field to double up Sanders, play a little heavier against the run, kind of stack the box a little bit and say, all right, what's your play, right? You, I mean, you've got to get Noah Fant going and you've got to get Deshaun Hamilton going. Neither of those things are really going super great so far this year. I'm doing strategy again. Dang it. That was supposed to be for them. I can't help myself. Bottom line is that's a problem for them. Um, so Sutton, as much as it might not seem like a big deal, I think it's a very big deal. Anyways, bottom line, wide receivers, they have two good wide receivers. Uh, Flacco, I think, is capable enough to get them the ball. Philip Lindsay's talented, but um, comparatively, you know, everything that we've got, th- there's challenges here, but everything that's a challenge, we've seen harder challenges. Sanders and Sutton are a good duo, and Sanders is a good wide receiver. This is not the same thing as Diggs and Thielen. It's just not. You know, Flacco is capable enough. I'm not putting Flacco on the same tier as Cousins. I know he had a terrible day and he was horrible. Fine. Credit to the Packers defense. Credit to Mike Pettin. Credit to that Packers crowd getting inside his head. I tried to tell you guys, too. That's that's you helping the team. For anybody listening that was at the game, I told you, when they when you get loud and they got to call a timeout, when you get loud and the quarterback gets flustered, when you start screaming and people start getting intimidated, that is that is you causing that. 100%. And you can see how grateful the Packers are. They, they can't stop talking about it. Aaron Rodgers has talked about how great it was. The defense kept talking about how great it was. Defense especially loves it because that's when the crowd gets loud. And it gets them amped up too. When you got a defense that's just looking to get ramp, that's just looking to get fired up, hearing a crowd scream and roar, dude, that's going to get them jacked up. I should probably save this talk for Sunday. I, yeah, whatever. So that, that generally is the offense. On the flip side, Bradley Chubb is a talented guy, however, he actually did not grade out all that well. I know there's, you know, questions about the grading system and all that, and you look at the amount of sacks. However, I want to remind you of Kyler Fackrell. I think the assumption is because Bradley Chubb had a ton of sacks and because Bradley Chubb is a early first-round pick, the, the tendency is to say, well, he's a really, really good football player. He probably is, and we know he has some talent, and we know it's somebody that we have to be worried about. However, last year he didn't grade out very well. This year he doesn't have any sacks. I don't know if he has any hits or pressures or anything, to be honest. And he's going up against Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari did struggle last week, and I think it had to do with his back. I'm not sure how his back is doing, but I don't expect Bakhtiari to have just fallen off a cliff entirely, and suddenly he's not a very good football player. I think Bradley Chubb is going to have a rough outing against David Bakhtiari. I'm doing it again. Stop it. Just talk about the other players. Stop talking about the Packers. I can't stop myself. I don't think I can split this into two days anymore. I just, I can't stop. Von Miller, 
Very, very good football player. I don't think he's really fallen off. He's he's the highest graded player on this entire team right now. Actually, that's not true. Emmanuel Sanders is. Told you all he was good. But I expect Von Miller's grade to just skyrocket because he's even better than he's playing right now. Um, I think he hasn't had a lot of opportunities because the goal has been to get the ball out really quickly. However, Brian Balaga is playing out of his mind right now. Now, he's not necessarily that much better than he always has been. I just think he's getting a lot more attention than he has in the past because he's had some premier matchups, and those guys haven't gotten to Aaron Rodgers, and people are like, whoa, why, why, is not, why isn't this happening? Because, because Balaga's good. It's what I've been telling you since forever. Everybody said, oh, we should cut Balaga. We should cut Balaga. Stop it. Just stop it. I don't know what people are talking about. We cut Balaga. But either way, uh, Von Miller's super talented, and we're very lucky to have a guy like Brian Balaga on the right side. Um, the uh, Outside of that, on the interior, not a whole lot going on. Um, Derek Wolf is, is relatively talented, but he's off to a really rough start this year. Otherwise, Adam Gotsis is on the inside. Um, meh. Shelby Harris is their nose tackle. He's off to a slow start, but he actually was... Uh, last year he graded out as elite, so he had a really, really good year, and it was it was one of those gradual progressions, right? He was pretty decent, and then he was good in 2017, and then he was elite in 2018, and now he's kind of regressed, but again, it's been a rough couple weeks. I think he's also better than what we've been seeing. So really, with Bradley Chubb, and with Von Miller, and Shelby Harris, and Derek Wolf, if those guys just get back to what they were, Gotsis is just average, but if Gotsis is the worst player they have, and he's just average, it's not a bad crew. The linebackers are, are really just average. There's there's really nothing super exciting about them. Uh, the corners, again, we've got to see what's going on with their, their uh, nickel corner. But Kareem Jackson has come in to play in the slot. He's been pretty fantastic. He was good last year. He's off to a great start this year. I don't know that they go back too much. The big, the big storyline is going to be on one hand, you've got Chris Harris. Chris Harris has been one of the best corners in the NFL for a very long time. He also is regressing. I really believe there's a lot of good football players who are not playing very well right now because it's just a different system. This is a dif- different defensive system. They're being asked to do something different, and they're all struggling. The, you know, the, These pass rushers who always get sacks, they're not getting any. The, the Chris Harris, who has been basically very good or elite his entire career right now, is average. He's never graded out his average. His rookie year uh, was his lowest year. He had a 73. He's at a 68 right now. Again, I expect a bounce back. I just think there's some growing pains. Like, this is new. They don't they don't know exactly what they're doing. And the fact that they're doing this against garbage opponents, the Raiders and the Bears, these guys' grades should be super inflated. I should be looking at tons of elite grades across the board and saying, well, look, let's temper it a little bit. That was against Trubisky. That was against these garbage offenses. I'm coming at it from the opposite perspective now. I'm looking at it going, these guys are... They're better than this. So there is actually a, a genuine opportunity that if they're still not turning the corner, if they're still playing really poorly because they're not getting this Vic Fangio thing, this is the same thing as Petten coming in and guys just going, I don't get it. I don't know why we're being asked to do this. I think they're putting us in unopportune situations. You know, Blake Martinez mentioned that he didn't get why he was calling these plays. It seemed like a dumb play call. And then after a full year and an offseason, he's looking at it going, it kind of makes sense now. I kind of get why it doesn't make sense, but it, it kind of does. Like, you know, it, 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 it these things take time. Now, if it's a similar defensive scheme, and it, it is technically a 3-4, but I, I still think it's, it's wildly divergent from what they were doing just based on their play. I, I don't know. But this this is kind of stunning in a way. Because I, I just have such massive respect for, for Chris Harris and Von Miller. Um, and to see Von Miller's stats and Chris Harris's grade and everything, it's it's not great. However, I'm not going to come into this just looking at Chris Harris's grade and say, well, De- Devontae's going to tear him up. No. I mean, here, here's the thing. 
When I saw Jair, my first thought was Chris Harris. Chris Harris is a smaller guy. He's kind of a, a slot guy that's so good they put him on the outside, right? It, it's one of those situations. And it used to be one of those things where when they had a lot more talent at corner, he would slide in at the slot. But now it's just like we're, we're not going to mess with that. He stays outside. I, I would say if there's a, a comp to Jair, Chris Harris is that comp. And that is a very complimentary comp, by the way. The biggest problem for the Denver Broncos, and this is something that I'm, I absolutely have expectations for the Packers wide receivers, Isaac Yadom, Yadom, not sure. I, I just heard the um, the Bear Report, which is the overtime Bears thing. They did an interview with these guys, and they said his name, and I was like, oh, that's how you say it, and I forgot already. I think it's Yadom. It's one of those things where I put way too much emphasis on something, and it's like, you j- just say it normally. Why are you saying it weird? It's not Yadom, it's just Yadom. I think that's it. But he's, he's terrible. I mean, he's just not a good corner. It's his second year in the league. His rookie year was garbage. Um, so far this year, it's even worse. This is, this is a prove-it thing, right? I'm trying to be cool with the whole wide receiver thing. I don't think this is great. I do think we need to get some better wide receivers. And, in fact, I think Matt LaFleur kind of told us that. Um, there was the press conference yesterday, and somebody, it might have even been uh, Bill Huber, but um, he, he basically, somebody asked the question, do you need to get better at wide receiver? And him beating around the bush as hard as he did really kind of told me something. It's one of those things where Mike McCarthy would always defend his guys. That was just his thing. If, if you asked him that, it didn't matter if he had the worst receiving group in the world. He'd just come out and say, no, I don't have it. He would be offended that you asked. He would scold you for asking. And he would say, we have the guys we want. We've got great wide receivers. These guys are doing their job. They're putting in the work every day. I mean, he would just go to bat. Matt LaFleur is like, well, you know, I mean, um, you know, hey, Matt, do you, do you need better receivers? Well... You know, so the thing is, <laughs> like, so kind of like, I mean, we we expect everyone to, to be better, and how do I get out of this? I don't think Matt LaFleur had a real good answer for that. Maybe I'm reading him, you know, incorrectly, and, and who knows, you know, somebody could just look back on that and say, why don't I just answer it better and say, no, I, I really like our guys are developing well. But that's the thing. This is the expected answer. It's it's surprised that you even asked that, and and kind of this condescending tone of you clearly don't know what you're talking about because if you understood anything about football and actually watched these guys, you would know that they're doing well and they're progressing, and this is the reason they haven't gotten the stats, and it's just situational things, and they're they're doing great, they're doing exactly what they're asked, they're they're really talented football players, and just lay it out there. Whenever you have an opportunity to talk up your guys, you do it, and the fact that he didn't and kind of just beat around the bush and didn't really want to answer it, but didn't really want to lie and. Like, really made me nervous. Like, so so you're not going to stand up for your guys and just flat out deny that you have a problem at wide receiver. That's, that's, that's troubling. But anyways, Isaac Yadam, real bad. And if Marquez doesn't absolutely throttle this guy, just leave him battered and bruised and bloodied on the field by the time this is done, I'm going to be concerned. Just straight up. I, you know, the whole, well, we need to let him develop, and let's give him time. Baloney! I mean, I, I, I'm kind of all for it, and I get it. But the thing is, and you've got guys, you know, Aaron Nagler right now is, is on a, he's, he's so mad at fans who are not satisfied with the wide receiver group. It's okay to ask the question, do we need better receivers? I'm not saying we tear this whole team down. I'm not saying we talk trash. I'm not saying we, we get ugly about stuff. But you can ask the question. And also, when you have a team that's as good as it is, and, and when we're seriously talking about maybe we should look at 
either bringing somebody in, which I don't necessarily think there's anybody out there that we can bring in that either isn't going to cost a ton or just is available. There just there really isn't that available. But looking at the draft, does this become a, a, a prominent need for us? And to just, you know, scoff and, and, and brush it off like, oh, you're, you're incompetent, you're an insufferable fan, why don't you give them time to develop? What if they don't, though? These are late-round draft picks for a reason. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. But at some point, we got to get this thing going. At some point, we can't score points because everybody just doubles and triples. Divide. And by the way, if, if other teams are worried about your other wide receivers, they're not going to double up your number one. They're not going to triple up your number one. Teams are basically coming into this going, I could not care any less about Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Geronimo Allison. I have zero concern, zero fear. They play that way, and they win that way. I'm not talking about the scoreboard. I'm just talking about that plan doesn't blow up in their face literally ever. Marquez and Geronimo need to start hurting teams that are disrespecting them because that's what they're doing. They're coming out and saying, I could not care any less. I will take our punter off the feet, off the sideline, put him on the, this wide receiver, and I could not care any less. This is a great opportunity for Marquez to look across the field at one of the worst corners in the NFL right now, Isaac Yadam, and just throttle him for 175 yards and two touchdowns. Fantastic opportunity to the point where they have to shift coverage off of off of Devontae a little bit to get some help, and then Devontae opens up. You have to do this. This has to happen. And Lafleur needs to facilitate this because they're all going to be focused on. I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. I'm not talking about it anymore. Yadom is not very. Yadom. Yadom is not very good. I am going to be very late for things. Um, <laughs> otherwise, the the safeties are also mediocre. In general, this is a mediocre defense with great pieces. Chris Harris is a great piece. Von Miller is a great piece. And I, I kind of look at this similar to Seattle, where there used to be just freakish talent in a lot of different places for Denver, and slowly that's falling away to the point where it's like you got some mediocre, you've got a couple bad, but you've got some like, whoa, these guys are crazy good. That's basically the Denver Broncos defense. The good thing about that is if you, it's one of those things where you can scheme for it, right? Let's, let's have a plan for Von Miller. Let's have a plan for Chris Harris. And then let's just take, pick on everybody else. Let's pick on their mediocre linebackers. Let's pick on their mediocre safeties. Let's pick on their really not great uh, corner, Yadam. Let's attack this, you know, good, not great offensive line, whatever. And it's the same with the offense. Let's have a plan for Emmanuel Sanders. Otherwise, we do whatever we want. You know, be cautious with Philip Lindsay, not just as a runner, but as we saw last week as a receiver. And if we can handle that, we should be able to handle our business. So, anyways... Tomorrow, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about a little bit what we talked about today because I cannot help myself, but we'll talk about how the Packers win and also how the Packers lose, which is something to be cautious of because in a way, that's almost kind of the biggest thing because, you know, in a game where eight out of 10 times you're going to win, it's a matter of finding out what's going to happen in those two times and just not letting those things happen. So we'll look at that as well. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. I will talk to you as always tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.